Wish I had a breeze running down my leg. I'd kill for a cookie. Stingray, a double-sided Scooby snack. Yeah, we pick our hotel. Help me burn that old man. I can't, yes, dude. Yes, you can. Let's freaking burn that guy. Hit him on the eyeball. Hey, don't offend me. Can I have this sloth? A skunk. I, mean, I can't believe there's a manhole and he fell in it. I made some chicken rolls. What's wrong with him? I want it now! I want cake now! I, I want it now! I found Fido! Hey, I found Fido! Hey, I'd love to get you a Mai Tai. Come on, I'll make it myself. Is that a bother? I dare you to spit in that guy's drink. I went out with a girl this weekend. We just kept having a ball. Then I come over to hang out after the game, and it's just, the floor's just beanbags. The vet said, dude, he said, your cat's just pregnant. You took three chomps and then threw your hot dog up over here. I got 13 snakes over here. I'd fight for this man. He's got a Frisbee. You got an orange peanut? Yeah. An orange peanut? Mm -hmm. For me? That's right. Oh, wow. An orange peanut? Well, I accept you. Finger time. I want cake. I want it now. I love that. Cake might be the best part of the day. I don't know. Some of you, that's what you love about the Super Bowl, right, is the food. You know, it's, it's good stuff. And uh, it's sort of this cultural phenomenon now. I mean, millions of people are going to watch it, even around the world, and companies will spend millions of dollars on these 30-second ads. For some of you, that's your favorite part of the Super Bowl. Uh, they'll spend millions of dollars on the halftime show. Most of us, that's not our favorite time of the Super Bowl. Although in 2002, U2 had a pretty good show, you know, it was, it was sweet. But it's usually we go outside and throw the football or something. But it's this, it's this thing. What I'm hoping for is a close game. Now, I've been a Niners fan ever since they drafted O.J. Simpson, which tells you, I mean, that's a long time ago. But grew up in the 80s and all of that. I actually had to borrow this. I didn't have a jersey, so I did have to borrow it. I went to Sports Authority. All they had was Lakers stuff because apparently nobody wants it, so there was a lot of it. I'm just saying, <clears throat> you know. But, uh, you know, so I'm excited. But what I really want, I mean, I want a close game. I want it to be fun. And they got a couple good quarterbacks. they got the good defenses, coaches. Uh, both teams have some good momentum. So I think maybe we're going to get a close game. And the team that's going to win it down the end is most likely going to be the team that executes the playbook the best. That's right. We're in a series right now called Life's Playbook. The playbook is the plan. It's the strategy. It's the path. To victory. And one of the things we're suggesting is that churches need playbooks as well. People need a plan, a strategy, and a path to victory. And what we're hoping in this series is that we would be really clear about who we are as a church. What is our DNA? What is Lakeside? What is our mission and values and our strategy and our vision? Last week, Brad kicked off the series, and he answered the question, why do we exist? And he talked all about our mission. It's right up here on this banner. Maybe we can say it together. Are you ready? Let's say this together. We transform as many people as possible into passionate and productive followers of Jesus. And that's the mission, and the mission has been the same for 25 years, ever since Brad and Donna got together in a little room, and they started calling people saying, hey, come to this little church plant in Folsom. The mission is the same, but it's good every once in a while to kind of pause and to step back and to reflect and go, hey, let's remind ourselves of what the mission is and what we're all about here. And 25 years later, we're still doing that. 
But there's other questions as well that go beyond why we exist. There's questions of what's important right now? Who's going to do what? How do we know that we're going to be successful? What's our rallying cry? All these different things. And we'll get to a lot of those questions. And there's a question that we got to get to first. It's an important question. In fact, it's a question that the church has been asking for the last 2,000 years. And sometimes the church has gotten it right. And oftentimes the church has gotten it wrong. I believe that the world is hungry for us to get it right. The question is, how do we live? How do we live as we carry out the mission of transformation? And there's different ways that we're going to answer that question over the next several weeks, but we're going to start today with this statement. We give ourselves to others. That's how we live. We give ourselves to others. And it's so critical that we get this right, because without this, we cannot accomplish the mission. I bet you know the story. In 1990, I saw the musical down in San Francisco. I saw the movie in 1998. I didn't see the miniseries, but I did see the movie based on the musical that came out on Christmas Day. And I've actually listened to almost all 1,500 pages of the audio book. Victor Hugo's classic novel, Le Miserable, that came out in 1862. And when it came out, it was an instant hit all around Europe. It was translated into lots of different languages. And I believe that was the case because it resonated with people. And it still resonates with people. It's a story that's all about redemption. It's all about rescue. And there's themes that go through the story, and you see these different characters coming into contact with one another. And you see transformation taking place. We believe that transformation happens when we give ourselves to others. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him! But I had my eye on this man. Thank God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed (laughs) that you gave it to him. Yes. Of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot... Fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry. Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madam Gino, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. And don't forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise. Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I've bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. 
And now I give you back to God. Transformation happens when we give ourselves to others. My life was transformed when I was 20 years old. It was changed because somebody gave themselves to me. Some of you know my story. As a teenager, I flunked out of church. It didn't go so well for me. <laughs> Grew up in church, but at some point there was a disconnect, and um, I didn't like church people. I didn't like what was going on. In fact, some of you might know the story. I sat in the back row of my high school ministry, about 600 students, and I used to mock the youth pastor on the stage. I just made fun of him. Not in front of anybody else, but just in my own mind. But God has a sense of humor because that's the church where I became a Christian. That's the church where I became a youth pastor from the same stage. And so I used to tell the kids in the back row, y'all better watch out because you never know what God's going to do. He has a sense of humor. But my life was changed. By the time I was 19, I was homeless, living out of my car. And this person came into my life, and they didn't hit me over the head with a big 10-pound Bible. They didn't even try to reason me into the kingdom of God and prove that I was wrong and they were right. They never tried to to manipulate me into the kingdom of heaven. But what they did do is, when I was homeless, they gave me a place to live. When all I had was potatoes and popcorn to eat, they gave me real food. When I was lonely, they were my friend. And when I was ready, they walked me through what it meant to follow after Jesus, not to be somebody that went to church and just left it there, but that truly followed after Christ. That was my brother. And you might say, hey, you know what? He was your brother. Of course, he loved you. He was going to do all that for you. But the thing is, is I've watched him do it for 27 years in the lives of many, many people. Because transformation happens when we give ourselves to others. And we got to get this right, Lakeside. This is huge for us because we can have all this sort of outward success. You know, the buildings or more people or bigger budgets or more staff and more volunteers, great service projects. But if transformation isn't happening, then we're not living out the mission. And so we have to give ourselves to others. It's just the way that we live as lakesiders. And so how do we do this? How do we do this in a practical way? How do we do this on a daily basis? Well, I bet you know the story, even if you've never opened the Bible, I bet you've at least heard of the story from John chapter 13 when Jesus washes the disciples' feet. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn there. And in this little narrative, we're going to get some things from it that just show us some constant reminders of what it means to give ourselves to others. I want to read for you just the first five verses this morning. It says that it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. 
I want to just look at four observations from this passage this morning about what it means to give ourselves to others. And the first one is that we give ourselves to others when we take the position of a servant. When we take the position of a servant. It says in this passage that Jesus loved them to the end. The Greek word there is the word telos. It means goal. In other words, Jesus loved them all the way to the finish line. Or he loved them completely. He had spent three years with his disciples journeying together. They had dialogues together. They watched how he interacted with people and they get near the end and Jesus has been predicting now over and over that he was going to go to the cross that he was going to die on the third day he would rise again from the dead they were confused they were hurt and they go to this upper room and they spend this time together and you kind of can read this through the gospel of John this discussion that was going on there and he does this physical thing Much like baptism is a physical thing that tells a story. Much like communion is a physical reminder that tells a story of something greater. Much of the world today, many Christians around the world today still actually practice the washing of feet. It tells the story of a God who becomes a servant. The Son of Man indeed came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom For many, there's just something about serving when we give ourselves to others that is transformational. Now, I don't work with our students anymore, but uh, I've worked with students for a long time. And one of my favorite things to do is to go on short-term missions trips with our students. Our group here at Lakeside, middle school and high school students, many of you know we take them down to San Francisco, to the Tenderloin District. And you know about our partnership with City Impact and the amazing work that they do in one of the worst districts, probably the worst district in San Francisco. And you'll find every sort of dysfunction you can possibly imagine out on the streets in the Tenderloin. We take our kids right out onto the streets and they're praying for people and they're laying hands on them and they're talking to them and they're being a friend and they're serving and cleaning and making food. One of the most difficult jobs every year on this trip is the kitchen job. And we get all this food in. You wake up early in the morning, you're in the kitchen until later on in that evening, and you're getting all this food in, and you don't know what it's going to be, and you have to figure out how to make hundreds of meals out of this. And it's stressful. Our high school director, Doug Rausch, is a master at it. Me, not so much. I get really stressed out in there. But I did my time in the kitchen, you know. And this last trip, we had an extra day where we needed a team to go into the kitchen. And no team wanted to go into the kitchen. And so I grabbed a couple teams. I said, okay, one of you, you know, you're going to go in. So I gave one team the choice. And of course, they decided not to go into the kitchen. And the other team had a great attitude. They did it. It was amazing. But this other team, they went off to clean the apartment of an older gentleman. And they didn't know this, and I didn't know this. But when they got there, they realized this, this guy was sort of a shut-in. He was blind. And he hadn't realized that his apartment had been completely infested by hundreds and hundreds of cockroaches. So they opened the door and they saw this situation where this man who was created in the image of God should not have been living. So they spent the day with him. They spent the day totally cleaning and disinfecting. And it was amazing. And I I heard the story when they came back. And you should have seen them because they were like soldiers coming out of the field of battle. Something had changed in them. There's just something about service when done in the right way with a heart of humility 
that is transformational. It's mutually beneficial. It changes the life of the person that you serve, and it changes your own life as well. So we give ourselves to others when we take the position of a servant. That's number one. Here's number two. We give ourselves to others when we embrace who we were meant to be. This passage talks about the fact that Jesus knew who he was and he knew where he was going. Strong marriages, strong relationships, strong friendships, strong communities are made up of people that understand their identity in Christ. They're secure in that. And because of that, they're able to forget about themselves and give themselves to others. I wonder, do you know your identity in Christ if you are a follower of Jesus? It's so critical to remember that. In Ephesians chapter 1, later on today or tomorrow, uh, pick up the Bible and and read Ephesians chapter 1. It's phenomenal. Packed into this short passage, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus all about their identity in Christ. And he goes on and on and on and one thing after another. I want to just share with you a few things from there about your identity if you are a follower of Jesus. One of the things that's true about you is that you're chosen. You're chosen to be in this forever relationship with God and to be caught up in his mission in the world. It says that you're holy and blameless. Yeah, you're not perfect and you're still on this journey. Uh, Progressively, you're still becoming more like Jesus, but positionally, you're never going to be any more forgiven or any more loved than you already are. His work is done. Jesus said, it is finished. Your position before him is holy and blameless because of the work of Christ. And you can be confident in that. It says that you're adopted, which means that you have all the rights and privileges of a son or daughter of the king. You have this power available to you to live out the Christian life and to make impact in the world. It says that you're secure for all eternity. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And his work for you for all eternity is based on his work and his character and what he's done, not on our inconsistencies. And so you're secure. And it just goes on and on and on about our identity in Christ. Identity is critical. Do you know who you are in Jesus? It also talks about the fact that Jesus had all the power in this passage. Recently, I read an article in Christianity Today about a pastor named Andy Stanley. Many of you know who Andy Stanley is. You read his books or you listen to his podcasts. He's out in Atlanta, Georgia, a huge church out there and. He was asked to give the traditional pre-inaugural sermon at the pre-inaugural worship service that takes place every single year at St. John's Episcopal Church in Washington, D.C. He says, nobody looked at my notes. They didn't tell me what to say. Um, And I was watching the inaugural ceremonies on TV. I like to watch the big things. And I was reminded again of the amount of power and prestige that is wrapped up in our government in the United States, and specifically the office of the president. And I like to watch those big things. And so here's Andy Stanley, and he's preaching a message to all of these powerful people, about 500 of them packed into this church. And in the article, he says that he preached from John chapter 13. In verse 3, it says that Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. And so I read the verse, and I asked, so what do you do when it dawns on you that you're the most powerful person in the room? 
that you're the most powerful person in this case in the world? And he says he just sort of let that question linger there. I'm looking at a group of very powerful people, he says, more powerful than you can possibly imagine. And the very next thing that John says is that Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And so I talk through the narrative of Jesus washing the disciples' feet and then telling his disciples, this is what you're supposed to do for one another. I noted how he just took away their excuses. If I did it for you, you have no excuse not to do it for one another. I talked about the tension in the room that night between the disciples because they were just arguing about who was going to be the greatest. Jesus removed their excuses. So those of us who follow Jesus, this is our example. You leverage your power for the sake of the other people in the room. He goes on and says, Then I told the president at the very end, Mr. President, you have a very big room. And the president smiled. It's as big as the nation. It's as big as the world. And my prayer for you is that you continue to leverage the stewardship of power for the sake of our nation and of the world. What do you do when you realize that you're the most powerful person in the room? Moms and dads, what do you do when you realize that you're the most powerful person in the room? Bosses, people of influence, What do you do when you realize that? My prayer for Lakeside Church is that we would continue to leverage our power and our influence. We have quite a bit of influence in this region. But that we would leverage that for the sake of the other people in the room. We give ourselves to others when we embrace who we were meant to be. Here's the third one. The third one is is that we give ourselves to others when what is practiced in private is displayed in public. One of the things to notice about this passage is that the disciples didn't live in the upper room. And neither do we, do we? They had to adventure out into the real world. And when they did, they brought the love that they had for Christ and one another. We don't live... In the upper room, we don't live in the auditorium or in the block. As Brad said last week, this is the locker room. This is sort of the pep talk. But we have to go out into the world. Christianity was meant to be lived shoulder to shoulder with those who do not yet follow after Jesus. I like what Erwin McManus says in his book, An Unstoppable Force, all about the church. He says, our future is not to be found in our preservation, but in our investment. And then he goes on and he says, he says, once our protection and survival becomes our goal, we have lost our way. The life of the church is the heart of God, and the heart of God is to serve a broken world, and this requires contact. You cannot wash the feet of a dirty world if you refuse to touch it. One of the tendencies, one of the dangers, one of the temptations of the church has always been to circle the wagons, to kind of create the Christian bubble. But life was to be meant meant to be lived face-to-face with people who need the Lord. Here's how Jesus said it. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's really no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and be trampled under the feet of people. He said, you're the light of the world, and a city on a hill cannot be hidden. 
Neither does anyone take a light and put it under a bowl. But instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And then he says, in the same way, let your light shine before people. And when you do, when you live life that way, he says that they will see your good works and they will glorify your father who is in heaven. Transformation will take place when we give ourselves to others and we live out the things that we talk about amongst ourselves, the small groups, the discipleship groups, the youth groups, Sunday mornings, Saturday nights, when we gather together as friends, when we walk out the door and we display that by living in close contact and loving people right where they're at. I'm so glad that my brother loved me when I was a disaster and I was a mess and I was lost and I needed to be found. That's the third one. There's one more. And this might be the hardest one. We give ourselves to others when we love people regardless of how they will respond. It's interesting to note in this passage that Jesus washes all the disciples' feet, even Judas, the one who would betray him. The rest of the disciples, are all gonna, they're all going to desert Jesus and he's going to die alone on the cross. But later on, later on, when the disciples come back to him and they begin to follow him and he launches them off into this new ministry that you can read about in the book of Acts, he wants them to remember this moment. He wants them to remember that they are forgiven. You see, the kind of community that we're being called to cultivate, the kind of people that we're being called to be, is the kind of people that actually see the worst in one another and offer forgiveness. It's what Jesus meant when he said 70 times 7. His forgiveness is complete. And so he says, let your forgiveness never end over and over again. And so let me ask you this morning, is there anyone that needs your forgiveness? Or have you hurt somebody? Do you need to go to somebody else and say, hey, you know what? I'm sorry. We forgive me. This is what God has done for us in Jesus. If we were to continue to read this narrative, we would see that Peter says something. Peter's always saying something. I, I have to tell you this little story. I didn't tell it in some, I told it in the 10, but I didn't tell it in any of the other ones. It was sort of one of those squirrel moments, you know. And uh, I, it, it actually has to do with part of why I, got, I flunked out of church. I was, I was a little kid, and I was in the front row, and there was an Easter play going on. I think my dad was playing Jesus, and he went to wash Jesus' feet. And this funny guy named Mel Bates was playing Peter, and he shouts at the top of his lungs, don't wash my feet. And my brother and I found it so funny. We were laughing. We couldn't stop laughing, and we got kicked out of the Easter play. And I flunked out of church. Peter was always saying something. And he comes to Jesus, and he says, don't wash my feet. You can't do this. But Jesus says, unless I do this, you have no part with me. And I believe that what Jesus was doing is he was showing them in that moment what he would ultimately show them on the cross because it's through the cross that God shouts to a hurting world I'm here and I love you and unless we come to the cross we have no part with Jesus 
And so we've got to come to the cross. Maybe for you, this morning, for the very first time, you decide to come to the cross and to surrender your life to God through what Jesus has done for you. Maybe for you, you've been wandering and you need to do a U-turn or you need to get back on track. And so you return to the cross, just like the prodigal son and just like the father, our father is rejoicing because you've returned to him. It's the cross that enables us to have that relationship with Jesus. At the end of the musical, Jean Valjean, Eponine, and Fantine sing the final song. And it's sort of a song of salvation. It goes like this. It says, take my hand and lead me to salvation. Take my love for love is everlasting. And remember the truth that once was spoken To love another person is to see the face of God. Through this series, we are inviting you into a journey to give yourselves to others. And in doing so, to see the transformation and the work that God does in your life and in the life of the other. We want to invite you into that. Take a step towards that today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the work that you've done there and how you gave yourself to us in Christ. God, we pause and we think about that. We reflect on that. And God, we know that you're, you're calling us to get caught up in this mission of transformation. And we know that that has huge implications for how we live. And around Lakeside Church, we want to be known as a community of a whole bunch of people that give themselves to others. So help us with that. Empower us through the power of your spirit. Influence us, guide us, direct us. And may we be the type of people that reflect that to the world. And so thanks for that, Lord. We love you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.